You are listening to the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and I love to talk about books with anyone and everyone. While listening to my podcast, you will hear author interviews, behind-the-scenes conversations about various aspects of the publishing world, theme discussions with other book lovers, and more. For more book recommendations and a complete list of all of my interviews, check out my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts From a Page. In 2022, I would love for you to join my Patreon group. I offer at least three bonus episodes a month. There is a Facebook group where everybody that's on Facebook chats books, and we are currently reading advanced copies of books and chatting with the author's pre-publication. I recently added another early read. For April, we will be reading Linwood Barclay's new fabulous thriller, Take Your Breath Away, and meeting with him on Zoom. I am in the process of scheduling several more. Thanks to those that already participate, and I hope you will consider joining us. Today, I am chatting with Simone St. James about the book of cold cases. Simone is the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of The Sundown Motel and The Broken Girls. After years of writing and collecting rejections, Simone's debut novel, The Haunting of Maddie Clare, won two Rita Awards from Romance Writers of America and an Arthur Ellis Award from Crime Writers of Canada. Simone spent 20 years behind the scenes in the television business before leaving to write full-time. She lives just outside Toronto, Canada with her husband and a spoiled rescue cat. I hope you enjoy our conversation. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Welcome, Simone. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm great, too. And I'm so excited to talk with you again. I always think of you with the pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I know. The most positive thought, but it is actually a positive thought because it was our last event before March 2020. I I got home from that book tour on like March 1, 2020. And so I just I just got in under the wire before everything closed down. So yeah, I always think about that trip. <laughs> as a pandemic trip as well. <laughs> exactly. Like we just got it in under the wire and that was just so much fun. I love that. And then you hit the New York times, which was really exciting as well. So it was really exciting. That was the first time in my career that that had happened. So that was all, it was strange. It was this really, really exciting high point. And then at the same time, everything in the world collapsed. <laughs> it was a very strange time. It would be very strange because you're so excited about one thing. And on the other hand, all hell is breaking loose, literally. Yes. 
at least I, I then I just after that book tour, I just was home for you know months and months and months recouping. So exactly. You're like, well, this isn't all bad. Before we get started with questions, I would love for you just to give a recap of the book of cold cases for those that won't have read it yet. Sure. So the book of cold cases is my sort of let's see, mashup of thriller, mystery, suspense, paranormal with a dash of romance in it, um, all in one. And um, it's about um, a very famous serial murder case from the 70s, which is a case that I made up, not a real case, that uh, they arrested a, a woman on suspicion of these murders. She was acquitted in court and the the case was never solved. And uh, in the modern day, true crime blogger gets the opportunity to interview the woman who was accused of these murders and she's going to learn exactly what happened back in the 70s. And uh, it's a bit of a, a wild ride. So, yeah, that's just it's just a just a bit of a trip into true crime and suspense and thriller. And there's definitely paranormal in it as well. Well, how did you come up with the idea or the ideas for this one? I'm always so intrigued by how you come up with your ideas. Uh, well, I'm a huge true crime fan. I consume all types of true crime and I have for a long time. And I, I kind of, I not only love true crime, but I think a lot about why I love it and what is it that I love about it and what, like, you know, what is, what is this that I like so much? And um, I was thinking one day about, it was actually, I was thinking specifically about the case of the Zodiac Killer case from the late 60s and early 70s, in which a man was going around randomly killing people in the San Francisco area. And then sending letters to the newspapers about it. And it was never solved. He was never, no one was ever arrested. He was never found. And I, it's a very famous case. And so I was thinking about that case and I thought, well, what if you had a case like that, but your main suspect was a woman? And I realized that it isn't just a very simple little flip. If your main suspect in that case is a woman, it changes everything about that case. It changes how it's discussed, how it's covered in the media, how it's investigated, how it's prosecuted in court, how it's talked about decades later, how people perceive it, how the suspect is perceived, who this person is, why they might have done what they did. So I came up with a fictional case and just explored to my heart's content all the different ways that that case is completely different when you have maybe a female serial killer. And I didn't, you know, I didn't base it on any real life serial killer or real life female serial killer. I just got to make up my own case and really delve into all the questions that I had and all the things I wanted to explore in the story. Since you like true crime so much, was it really fun to create your own crime? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was quite fun. I'm not have, of course, not having to rely on any type of facts. And also, of course, not having to, you know, think about any real life victims or any real life court cases or any real life sealed records or any real life cops. Or I just got to explore all everything I wanted on my own terms. So yeah, that was definitely fun to do. And, and I just got to do a lot of my own sort of thinking about true crime and what it is and why we love it so much. And I got to do it in the form of a story. Well, I think that it is an interesting thing to ponder why people like true crime so much. Why do you think that is? I think that there's a lot of reasons, but it's true crime, especially right now, is very, very popular with women, extremely popular with women. And there's a lot of women who kind of say that, you know, in, in some weird backwards way, listening or consuming true crime helps with their anxiety. 
And that seems like it wouldn't be the case, but that's what a lot of them kind of feel like. And I think that true crime for women and for a lot of people is a way for us to process things that maybe have happened to us or people that we know, or sometimes it's way to process something, you know, those situations you've had in life where you think, God, if I had made a different decision, something really, really bad could have happened. Or why was I in that place at that time? Like, why did I say yes to that person? How, you know, I got out of that situation, but if my luck had been different, it would have been bad. And, and so we have a lot, a lot of these things that we kind of think about, and but we never talk about them and we're kind of not supposed to talk about them. And it's really uncomfortable to talk about them. And I think that true crime kind of helps us process those kinds of things without actually directly talking about ourselves. It's a way to kind of project onto something that happened to somebody else. And you get to talk about it in detail without actually having to reveal, you know, talk about yourself, which is so much harder. That's true. I hadn't really thought about it that way. It's one of my theories. I don't really understand all of it, but it's one of the things that I came up with, as I say, when I like when I think about myself and I think about the women I know and why we enjoy true crime. It's one of the things I came up with. Helping with anxiety is a fascinating idea there. I know it would absolutely send my anxiety through the roof if I was listening to all these cold cases or mm-hmm. true crime things, because then I'd be worried about every little thing that happened. Yeah, I think that for people who have already have a lot of anxiety, they're all already worried about every little thing that happens. <laughs> it makes them feel less strange. It makes them feel less uh, alone. It makes them feel like... I don't know. There, it's not so much. It's not so much directly that they're right to worry all the time. It's just that, you know, it's just not a. It's just not an unusual reaction to the world we live in for some people. You know that we live in for some people, and I'm not just talking about strictly serial killers, but just in general, we we live in a bit of a dangerous world. It can be a bit of a dangerous world, and some people have a lot of anxiety, and so it's a way to sort of it's a way to sort of process the, those feelings. Well, invalidates their anxiety. I hadn't really thought about it that way. Well, I will say that consuming too much true crime is very bad for your anxiety. I I would think so. I'd be laying there at night with my eyes wide open going, I'm never sleeping again. Yeah. And if you're going to, if you go too deep down the rabbit hole, I mean, you read, you read some very, very disturbing things. Yes. Very disturbing things you wish you could unread or unsee or unhear. Um, and that's, yeah, so it is, I'm not necessarily saying it's healthy or, or healthy in excess. Uh, I just think that it's something that, uh, that's kind of what people are seeking a little bit when they are reading true crime. No, it's an interesting phenomenon and trying to understand why it appeals to people. And it appeals to many, many people. I think I'm probably in the minority on that. I'm just too big a wimp. Yeah, it's, it has a, it has a wide appeal. Of course, there's always, I mean, True crime gets, it gets criticized and in many ways, rightly so for, you know, there's just a bit of a rubbernecking aspect to it. Um, Wanting to see, you know, something bad that happened to somebody else. You know, another aspect to it is that, you know, we do, there are people who kill other people. And those of us who don't kill people, we don't understand why anyone would do that. And there's also a, you know, just a desire to be like, why, like, why do these things happen? Like, this is not so outside of something I could ever consider doing or experiencing. Like, why does this happen? And we're kind of want answers to it. And there aren't, there just really aren't clear cut answers to those things. I mean, there are lots of theories and there are lots of ways to think about it, but you know, what we really want, what we really want is some type of simple explanation, like murders happen because X. And if you don't do X, then 
you won't get murdered. And if people would just X, then nobody would be a murderer. And that would be the, that's the answer to the problem. And that's kind of what we want and we never get it. <laughs> but it would be nice. Yeah, it would be great. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm all for that. Well, what about research? I'm assuming you had to do a fair amount of research. Yes, I did. I mean, like I said, I've, I've been reading true crime for years, but I did, I did a little bit of research into how the legal system would have worked in the seventies and, and those kinds of things. But, you know, I intentionally, I, I, my main character, Shay is a true crime blogger. She's not a police officer. She's not a lawyer. She's not a cop. She's an outsider to that system. So there are things that are happening within the system that she doesn't understand and she's not privy to. And so I also keep her mindset in mind and that she, you know, she doesn't know everything. So I don't need to know everything because she's not going, there's a lot she's not going to know. That's a great point. I hadn't even thought about that. Mm -hmm. So Beth is a bit of a tricky character on purpose. So was that hard to write? Uh, Beth was very easy to write. And those interactions with Beth and Shay were very easy to write because I just sort of, I don't know. I, I, she was just very clear to me, you know, and, and, and what was fun about writing her is that she's not cut and dried. She's not clear cut, you know, and, and you're in Shay's point of view and Shay is like, is this person a psychopathic killer or not? And Beth knows that Shay is wondering this. So Beth plays on that a little bit. There's a lot of cat and mouse in their interactions, you know, and Shay's wondering like, well, why did she choose to talk to me? And why does she specifically want to talk to me at her house? And so Shay knows that Beth isn't, you know, just innocent on the up and up, like Beth's up to something. Beth knows that, that Shay doesn't quite know what's trying to figure it out. So all those layers, all those back and forth layers, uh, that's one of the most fun things to write is just these two people, these two women who are just they're just in a contest. And one of the challenging things about their contest is that they kind of like each other. So they are trying to figure out, you know, they're trying to keep their defenses up. Like I like this person, so I don't want her to be able to fool me. So there's, there's just a lot of fun back and forth going on between the two of them. And on Shay's part, she's thinking I'm the first person Beth has spoken to about this in decades. So she doesn't want to blow it. You know, there's, there's so many emotions on her side, I think. Yeah. And, and there's, there's even a, like a fun part, like when she's about to go to Beth's house and she's wondering like, okay, well, if Beth was a man, if this was an accused serial killer and I was going alone to his house, this would be a stupid idea. Like this is a dumb idea. I mean, I would be in danger. And she's actually wondering to herself, like, because this is a woman, am I in danger? Or am I not in danger? Like, do I just assume I'm not in danger because she's a woman or really doesn't actually know what to think? Um, And then she gets to Beth's house and Beth says, well, I wasn't really sure whether I should let you into my house. And so Beth is thinking, am I in danger? (laughs) So there's always this back and forth of like, you're not, you know, because these are two women, it's not the type of scene that we're used to in any type of detective or crime story where you've got a very dangerous killer man and maybe some male cop who's got to interrogate him. You know, you got these two women and both of these women are like, I have to figure out whether or not I'm in danger because this is not a normal situation. And I guess as I was reading, I didn't completely focus on that. And I guess I should have because it really does turn the tables. Yeah, it's very different. And it's kind of my play on on all like how many thousands of scenes have we seen in, in books and, and movies where, you know, there's a 
dangerous male criminal and there's a male cop who's got to interrogate him and get the truth out of him. And when you flip that into two women, you have a completely different dynamic. You just really do. Yeah, the dynamic is completely different. You're right, because I certainly wouldn't show up, whether I thought he was a serial killer or not, to some random man's home that I didn't know, you know, right. regardless of the serial killer aspect. But then when you add that in, I really wouldn't. But yes, with a woman, you're much less concerned as a female myself thinking, okay, I can show up, I can defend myself. Most likely she's not going to cause me any harm. Yeah. And of course, she's got the added motivation, like you say, where she's the first person in decades who's even been offered this chance to talk about what happened and and maybe even get the truth of, you know, who killed these people. So she's quite motivated to do it. Right. She's even motivated enough to maybe risk her safety a little bit, but she's trying to figure out what how what how big that risk is. Right. Exactly. How to balance it and whether it's worth it. Right. Which is a calculation that women make all the time. Absolutely. You enjoy including the supernatural in your stories, and I don't want to spoil anything in this book, but how does that come about for you and how do you weave that in? Um, I just love adding that extra layer of, you know, just the, you have your protagonist in this situation and now there's something, an extra layer of danger that's going on. And your protagonist is wondering if she's crazy or what, what this is. And it's also a fun way to show, like, just really show, like, secrets that don't stay buried, things that people don't talk about that kind of refuse to stay silent. And they get to, when you use a supernatural aspect, those secrets and those things get to sort of come to the forefront, whether you like it or not. So it's a, this just a very fun layer to add to it. And, and I just, my readers really enjoy it and I really enjoy it too. I do too, because you're always wondering, okay, is this really supernatural? What exactly is happening here? And as you said, it's a good way to bring out details that it might be more difficult to bring out another way. It's funny because in my books, I mean, the supernatural is always actually happening. (laughs) The person is like, is this really happening? And the answer is always yes. This is, this is worse than you think, because this is really happening to you. Now, and then of course it's for the writer, it's always like, well, now, now what is this person going to do? I mean, I want to know what's this person going to do? If there's a ghost, what, what are they going to do? That's fun to follow a character because different characters react different ways. Absolutely. And it's fun for me as I read your books to think about how I would react. I really did that in this one. Well, I actually did it in the Sundown Motel too, when she was at the vending machine and there's like breath on her neck and everything, you know, and the doors are opening, all of that. You're like, what would I do? And same with in this one, you know, when she's in the bathroom and these things are happening. You're like, how would I react to that? And I guess you just don't really know until it happens to you. Yeah. And then there's a, there's a scene later. I mean, she tells her associate about it and he's like, are you sure it wasn't like, does she have pulleys or levers or, you know, because she's in her own home, maybe she's got everything rigged and she's trying to freak you out. And then, you know, she's like, well, it's not impossible. I mean, she's been living in this house for decades. She could have rigged a bunch of weird little pulleys and stuff, you know? So, you know, she is kind of wondering like, what did I see? And I guess that's what I like about it, because as I'm reading, I figure most of it probably is going to be supernatural, knowing, you know, that you really enjoy writing that and that's how your books work. But you still kind of wonder, like, is it really going to be or is part of it going to be? It's just kind of a fun thrill as I'm reading. Yeah. And there's it's always when I the supernatural stuff I write is always built around the emotions of the of the character in the scene. Like, is this person already afraid is this person you know thinking about something that they they refuse to talk about is this person standing in this room and remembering something that happened there 
And so, you, you know, you take those various emotions and things that they're already thinking in the psychological aspect of it and play with that in the imagery and in what's actually happening in your supernatural storyline. Definitely. Well, one of the things that I love about your books is you have the best covers. I just absolutely love them. So can we talk about this cover and how it came about? So beautiful, isn't it? Isn't it a beautiful cover? Oh, it's so beautiful. I mean, the second I saw it, I was like, okay, they hit it out of the ballpark again. It's just stunning. Yeah, that is just the, that is the art team at Berkeley. Honestly, I, you know, authors get some input into their covers. They ask us for ideas. They say, you know, before they start, they're like, do you have ideas? Do you have covers that, you know, are out that you really like, or that think would really work. And they ask for your input, you know, they usually ask for my input and they, then they don't take my input. (laughs) You're like, thanks a lot. (laughs) Well, you know what? I'm, I'm a writer. I am not an art director. Like they have art directors and artists who work there. That is all they do is make book covers. And of course they know what makes a good book cover. They know what makes a book cover that, that readers want to pick up. I don't know that stuff. That's not my, that's not my wheelhouse. I mean, I just give my input. I'm like, here's some covers that I, as a reader, I wanted to pick up without even looking, you know, at the book. And then they go away and they come up with something. And honestly, it's all them. And they come back and they're like, what do you think of this? And I say, like, it's amazing. And if I, if they came back with something that was horrendous, I could probably speak up and pick a fight and make them redo it. I've never had to do that. They do an amazing job. Like I say, they don't even listen to anything I say, which is probably smart of them. And they just go by their own incredible talent and they come back with something that I don't expect and that I just love and that readers love. And they do it amazing every time. I have nothing to, I've, I contribute nothing. <laughs> Has it been the same cover designer for these last three where you've had the Broken Girls and then the Sundown Motel and then the Book of Cold Cases? Is it the same director or the same art person that's doing it? I believe it is. I mean, I know they have a team, right? Um, it's not just one person, but I do believe it is. Yeah, I think it is the same. Um, maybe not entirely the same team, but I do think there's a bit of a continuity there. Because they look similar enough without looking alike, if that makes sense. Like you could put them all together and know that there is some thread that runs through them all, but they each have their own very distinct cover. It's weird because they look like there's a supernatural aspect to the story without like, how do you make that visual? I don't even know how you'd make that visual, but the way it's portrayed, you know, in sundown and I may, maybe it has to do with the colors or something, but the way it's portrayed, you look at that and you go, yeah, this, this is a very creepy place. You know, like, I do not want to go into this place. Yeah, I do not want to stay there. So there's kind of a weird, it's somehow, it somehow communicates that there's a supernatural aspect to it. And that is just amazing to me. That is amazing to me. I have no idea how to do that. I agree. You can tell from looking at it that it's going to be creepy and probably there will be some kind of supernatural something involved. And you had the coolest thing happen recently with your sundown cover where a bookstagrammer found the actual motel that the photo was taken from, right? And posted about it and then you shared it. He did. It was amazing. It was completely random. He had a copy of the Sundown Motel and he hadn't read it yet. It's either him or his wife owned it, but he hadn't even read it. And he and his wife were planning a road trip in, and part of where they were going was, I believe it's Utah where he found it. And um, they were looking on Google Earth and they had thought of a hotel to stay in. And they looked at the hotel in Google Earth. And then, of course, Google Earth, you can kind of do like you 360 degree, like look around up and down the street. And he looked up and down the street and he saw this motel sign, like completely random. And he thought, I, I recognize that. And he connected it to the my cover. 
And so my, like my, my publishers use licensed photos on the covers. So what had happened is some type of a professional photographer, stock photographer had taken a photo of that sign, licensed it. My publisher had paid for it and they Photoshopped it, of course, to change the lettering to say Sundown Motel and change, you know, change it. But the original sign exists and he found it and he connected it incredibly. And then he messaged, he actually private messaged me on Instagram and he said, look at this photo I found. And he said, said, this is amazing. We were going back and forth. This is amazing. And he said, well, we're going to be on a road trip. I'm going to be driving by there. He said, I'm going to take a picture. And I said, well, I'm going to send you, I'm happily sending you a signed copy of the book for this little project. So I mailed him a signed copy of the book. And he and his wife did their road trip and they stopped at the, in front of the hotel that, that has the original sign. And he took a picture holding the book it was the most amazing thing. It was just one of those things. It's a huge thrill as an author, like to have a reader who's just so tuned in and is so excited and gets you so excited. And we were both so excited. He and I were both so excited about the whole thing. It was a lot of fun. Well, I didn't even participate and I was so excited about it because I love (laughs) covers and that is one of my all-time favorite covers. And so then when I saw that, I thought, how cool, how lucky is this guy? And I didn't know the backstory of him finding it on Google Earth and then getting, you know, I just saw the picture of him with it and how he'd found it. And I just thought, that's the coolest thing. I wish something like that would happen to me. I know. It was really amazing. And the fact, like he had been planning, he was planning his road trip like a month or two out. And so he was, he said, you know, we're going to, you know, drive by this. And I said, I'll mail you a book. And I thought, okay, well, you know what, if it, if it doesn't actually pan out, if he forgets or they change their route or they don't end up going, you know, at least it was pretty cool that he found this photo and that, no, he actually followed through he and his wife and they had their kids too. were on this road trip and they made this stop at this motel. They took the photo. I was like, he didn't really have to do any of that, but it was all really exciting. Well, I'm sure once you communicated with him and sent him the book, he's like, well, this will be even more fun. Not only is he doing it for himself, but how excited you would be as well. Well, you never know what's going to happen on a family vacation with your kids. So I was like, look, if stuff happens or, and of course, we've been in the middle of a pandemic for the last two years. So I was like, look, if stuff happens and this trip gets changed or it doesn't happen or however this works out, <laughs> I'm just glad that it, the idea was out there. But no, he followed through and did it. He did it. It was really cool. It was really cool. And I don't think I pay enough attention to detail where I would be able to pull a sign out, even though I love that cover and I've looked at it a million times. I'm just not sure I would have recognized it out in the world like that. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Well, what have you read recently that you really liked? I read all kinds of things. I don't just read thrillers. One uh, one thriller I have read recently, and it was a debut author whose book came out this year, was A Flicker in the Dark by Stacey Willingham. That's like a cool, like serial killer thriller. That was her, it's her first book, did really well. I really enjoyed it. That was a really good book if you're looking for thrillers. Other than that, I mean, I read all kinds of things. I read uh, The Rose Code by Kate Quinn, which is World War II historical. So good. So, so good. She is so good. Every book of hers is like just a 10 out of 10. She just never misses. And I just felt like she really dropped you right into Bletchley Park. Like I learned so much about Bletchley Park from that book. And I've read about it before, but I just really felt she did a wonderful job of literally bringing it to life. Like so much research and detail, but at the same time, the characters are so alive that it doesn't, it doesn't feel like you're reading a textbook or something. Like you're just following these women and you're just rooting for them so hard. And exactly. Everything. I loved everything about that book. 
other than that, I mean, I've reread Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain. I read that about 10 years ago. Yeah, that holds up. What a great book that is. So much fun to read. Um, yeah, I, just, I read all kinds of things. <laughs> I'm all over the map. I am too. I think it just sort of depends on what sounds good to me at the time, what I'm in the mood for. But it's nice when you're all over the map because then you really have a wide open choice of whatever sounds good at the time. Yeah. And I can't just write thrillers and then only read thrillers. I mean, that would, I do, I would go crazy. I, I write, I read, I read a lot of romance. I read all kinds of things. I read Stephen King. I read nonfiction. I read biographies. I read everything I can get my hands on. I try to do the same. I don't read too much romance, but I do try to read a wide range of things. Mm -hmm. Well, Simone, I always enjoy speaking with you and I really appreciate your taking the time to come on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I wish we could have done it in person again, but maybe someday. I wish we could have too. So for your next book, we'll make that one of our goals. Yes, I agree. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you liked this episode, and I hope you did, please follow me on Instagram at Thoughts From A Page. Consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. Tell all of your friends about the show and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.